So that's a weird song, right? Anybody else hear it? Maybe not. We know what it means. We know what we're talking about when we say, eat of the bread of salvation and what? Drink of the blood of the lamb. If you don't know who the lamb is, if you don't know the lamb is Jesus, if you don't know what it means to eat his body and drink his blood, it's a little weird, right? If somebody comes to this church for the first time, has never heard about Jesus, has never read the Gospels, and we're like, drink of the blood of the Lamb, that's going to be a little jarring. It's going to require a little bit of unpacking. Uh, it was jarring when Jesus taught in the first century as well. If you go to John chapter 6, at the end of that chapter, you find all these crowds following Jesus until he starts talking about, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood and find salvation in me. And people went, that's strange. That's weird. We just want you to do more miracles. We thought this was going to be fun. Now it's starting to be a little strange. And they literally walked away from him. Jesus lost many followers just by saying what we sing on a Sunday morning. I can't, <laughs> I can't not hear the weirdness in that song or other, other songs about being washed in the blood. We get so used to it. It's the language that we use. We know what it means. We celebrate the blood of Jesus, but for outsiders and first-timers, it's a little strange. So I think it's important to acknowledge and use an opportunity to teach and say, no, 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 there's actually something very important and beautiful that we're saying. It's just a insider language. And so we come to the table, and we're reminded of the blood of Jesus. And we do something that's also strange. We celebrate a death. Normally, people mourn a death. They grieve a death, and they say, man, nothing, is, nothing good is coming from this. And we agree with them until Jesus comes into the picture. No, no, no. By the shedding of his blood, we have hope for eternal life in him. It's a good thing. We, we celebrate him, and we say, thank you, Jesus. That's what we do. And we come together and acknowledge and remember Jesus and his sacrifice. If you don't have uh, a little communion cup with you this morning, we have some in the back. You can go and grab one, or Dan Hill might grab one for you. You just look to him and give him a little wave. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're glad you can worship with us this morning. We invite you to take uh, an ordinary piece of bread, an ordinary something to drink that you have, and join us. In just a moment, we'll be opening these together. and eating of the bread of salvation, and drinking of the blood of the Lamb as we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, but the message this morning is kind of just a long communion talk. So if I sit here for longer than you're used to, uh, I won't be going up there later. So just keep that in mind. It's a little bit different. We're in a series on Sunday mornings called The Liturgy of the Ordinary, where we are trying to find sacred practices in everyday life. We talked about how when we wake up in the morning, we're reminded that we're loved by God even before we've done anything at all. Last week, we talked about the frustration we feel when we lose our keys or when we misplace something or when we get off schedule or the people in our lives are not doing exactly what we hoped that they would do. Uh, and we are uh, reminded of the necessity and the power of confession, just reminding ourselves, I don't have it all together. I make mistakes. I need the grace of Jesus Christ. We did some confession together. Maybe next time you lose your keys, it will remind you of that. Maybe the next time you wake up, it will remind you of how loved you are by God. That's the purpose of this series. Attach 
some spiritual meaning to the everyday, ordinary things we do in our lives. And this morning, we are going to take a look at the everyday, ordinary practice of eating leftovers. Raise your hand if you've eaten leftovers sometime this last week. I grew up in a house that did not save dinner food, almost ever, almost ever. We had mashed potatoes almost every single night, and I washed mashed potatoes down the garbage disposal almost every night. And I know some of you are going, Jacob, oh, that is awful. But that's, that's how we grew up. My mom cooked with a lot of canned vegetables and mashed potatoes and uh, frozen fish sticks and things like that. She's like, is anybody going to eat these if I save them? We go, no. We threw them out. And they were wasted. It was not until I became an adult and met people like Lisa Merritt. <laughs> She's like, no, no, if it was good last night, you paid for it. You ought to eat it for lunch the next day. And I went, oh, I see what you did. There, there's something, something to that. Uh, so now I embrace leftovers. But we have to admit, leftovers are not very exciting. They're not very glamorous. Uh, some of you gave me dirty looks when I confessed to the truth that I threw mashed potatoes away as a kid, even though I was instructed in my household to do that. But let me ask you this. Have you ever had something like this, and you've gone to the fridge, and you've eaten it the next day, and there's still some left? And you've eaten it again the third day, and then on the fourth day, you just go, hmm, no, I'm kind of over it. I'm, I'm, yeah, okay, so good. We're in the same boat now before you guys go throwing stones at me. We're all food wasters. No. Think about the most exciting and exceptional meal that you've ever had. One that was like a mountaintop meal. Maybe it was at a really nice restaurant. Maybe it was at a, a really special occasion. Maybe it was with uh, a beloved family member or just friends that you enjoy conversation with. Maybe it wasn't even the food that made it special. Maybe it was the environment or the occasion or just the timing. Think about that. Take a minute now. Just turn to the person next to you and, you know, don't tell the whole story, but in, you know, 40 seconds or less, share with them some of the details of one of the best meals that you've ever had. Ready? Go. And at home, if you're joining us, you can type the details in the chat. I want to see. I want to hear about your your best meal ever. Okay. Is it making you hungry just reliving these, these fantastic mountaintop meals that you've had? For me, one of the best meals I've ever had was the week that we were leaving New Jersey. Lisa and I were young married couples. We made really close relationships with uh, people from church in the, the Lower Bucks Church of Christ. And they said, we want to take you out to a nice dinner in Philadelphia. So this young couple that we were really close with, we're leaving, we're packing, we're getting ready to go, but we take this time and we go to a nice restaurant. It turns out our friend Stacy's cousin was the chef at the restaurant. And it was like a kind of a simple restaurant, but he was a kind of really, really fancy trained chef. We went to the Culinary Institute and, and the whole nine yards. And he's like, oh, I'm going to make you guys a really special meal. He made us something that was off menu. Uh, I had a meatloaf with like three different kinds of meats that were unusual in there. Uh, he made an appetizer that nobody else got to have. And we just went, wow, the food was great. The conversation was great. It was a, it was a goodbye meal. And that one was hard to beat for us. Really, really good. And maybe you have a memory that's like that. Now compare that to leftovers. 
<laughs> ones that you go, ugh, I guess I'll stretch this out into a second and third day. But honestly, I kind of want to mash potato it along with Jacob. The truth is, the mountaintop meals that we have are probably fewer and farther between than the leftovers that we eat, the ordinary things that we put together for lunch and a lot of times for dinner. They're not exciting. They don't do it for us in the same way that these memories, these, these fancy meals that we've had do, but they still sustain us. There's still something in here that we need and that we can enjoy. But sometimes our attitude about leftovers can get in the way of seeing that they sustain us. They'll get us to the next meal. They'll get us to the next day. And the reason we're talking about leftovers is because Jesus tells us, that's me. There's a spiritual component that aligns here. Jesus sustains us when we take communion. It is an ordinary thing. It's not always a mountaintop meal. It's something that we can get used to. But it's necessary. It's important. And it gives us a spiritual sustenance that we need. Let's go to John chapter 6. I mentioned the end of John chapter 6. We're going to look at three things that happen in the ministry of Jesus in John chapter 6. Uh, first is Jesus feeding the 5,000. The second, you'll see Jesus walking on the water. And then people come and find Jesus, and he'll talk about being the bread of life. And I want us to listen to Jesus for a moment and then just kind of think about what it means for us to be sustained by Jesus spiritually. John tells us this. Sometime after what had just happened, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover was near. Pay attention to that detail that John gives us. That's important. The Jewish Passover was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And then John tells us he only asked to test him, for Jesus already, uh, he already had in mind what he was going to do. So I'm going to read that again, and you can picture Jesus asking this question, maybe with a little wink, because he tells us he already knew what he was going to do, but he still went, wow, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? What do you think? Jesus knows, but Philip answers him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to even have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's brother, spoke up. Oh, well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves. He gave thanks. He distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them, and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Something amazing just happened, but the way John tells it is very ordinary. Oh yeah, everybody ate. Huge crowd. What are we going to do? Tiny amount of food. Jesus says, no problem. Pass it out. Cut to collecting what was left. More baskets full than they began with. Wow. 
Amazing. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. What? He's not going to come back for a curtain call to come back and do a victory lap and say, yeah, that's right. Celebrate me. I'm going to go off by myself. That's the first thing that happens. Next, John's going to tell us about Jesus walking on the water. Uh, Feeding of the 5,000 is a story that is told by all four gospel authors. Matthew tells us this, Mark, Luke, John, they all said, ah, we need to remember this story. Walking on the water is only told by three of the four gospel authors, but every time that the story is told, it happens immediately following the feeding of the 5,000. Think about why that might be. Here's a clue. It may have something to do with John going out of his way to tell us that this happened at the time of the Passover. Jesus feeds the people, a hungry crowd who didn't know where their food was going to come from. Jesus provides. And then, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. But now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. Again, pretty incredible thing when John says, oh yeah, he's walked on the water. No big deal. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and Jesus had not entered it with the disciples, but that they had all gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so they asked him, What sign will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They still think he's talking about bread. Snacks. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, 
that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will, or for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. The chapter goes on. There's more to this conversation. And then at the end, they walk away because he talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He's, he's speaking in terms they don't fully understand. But you see that the crowds are excited. They see a spectacle, and they want to see more. Let's chase after Jesus. Let's make him king. Let's see more of these magic tricks that he's somehow able to do. And the things he's doing, and I think John tells this story in a very intentional kind of way. This is a mostly Jewish audience. They can't help be reminded of what happened in the wilderness. If you know the Exodus story, if you know that God sent Moses to lead the people out of slavery and he led them to the desert so that they could worship God and be with God and like, this is it. This is, this is what I, where I wanted you to be. And the people said, oh, okay, but we're hungry. What do you got? And God provided them manna. And they said, cool, thank you. We're not hungry anymore. But the manna started to seem like leftovers to them. Ironic, right? Because they weren't allowed to keep extra manna. Like if you stored it up, it would go bad, except for on the Friday because you needed manna for the Sabbath. But they were like, ugh, we're kind of getting sick of this bread from heaven. Great and all, but we're getting tired of it. Can we get some meat? And God says, yeah, here comes the meat. And they go, awesome. You know what? We're getting kind of tired of this meat. Jesus says, I am the bread. This is what you need, not more of something that you have an insatiable desire that your your stomach can never fill. What you need is me. And then, by the way, he walks across the water in the same way that Moses walked across the Red Sea on dry land by the power of God, leading the people. Jesus says, come away from the spectacle. Come across the way. Just come with me. I want to lead you to a place where you can hear what I have to say. And what I have to say is, believe in me. Don't follow your stomachs. Don't follow your, your, your desire for something bigger and better and greater and tastier and chasing after those mountaintop meals because they only happen once in a while. But what you really need is something that will sustain you. Now, I think about this, and I recognize myself in the crowds, and I recognize myself in the Israelites in the desert going, man, we have seen amazing things from God, but how quickly do we forget them? How quickly do they start to feel like something that we deserve or that we're entitled to or just something that we get bored of? Think about Super Bowl commercials. Super Bowl's coming up. A week from today, there's, I mean, the, the commercials are already getting leaked online. You can see how Doritos is trying to get you to buy more bags of Doritos. And I do this thing intentionally with my girls whenever we're watching TV, not just the Super Bowl, but if we're watching a show and an advertisement comes on, like you have to watch this before you watch the rest of your program, uh, almost always we'll mute the commercials because I'm like, we didn't ask for this. We're trying to watch something else, but this is the cost of doing business. But even with the commercials muted, I will ask them the question, what are they trying to sell us? What are they trying to tell us is not good enough in our lives? And they'll go, they're trying to sell us a car. And I'll say, do we need a car? No. We already have a car. You're right. What are these people trying to sell us? They're trying to sell us a phone. This phone looks slightly better than the phone we use. 
Do we need a phone? No. We'll make all the calls we need. We have a plenty of screen time as is. The Doritos commercials are a little different. I say, what are they trying to sell us? Doritos. Do we need those? Yeah, we do. And I agree. Yeah, we do. Let's go get some. That one worked. But it's important, I'm trying to instill in them, not everything that someone comes along and says, this is better. You need this. Your life is not good enough as it is until you get to where this person is and these happy people in the commercial. But how often do we fall for that trick and go, ah, we need something more. We need something better. These, these leftovers, these things that we're used to are just not sustaining us. It's not exciting anymore. It's not novel. It's not lighting up pleasure centers in my brain like something new, titillating can do. We have to be careful because it's human nature to want more and better and bigger and saltier and sugarier, flashier. Nod your head if you know what I'm talking about, and I'll kind of move on. But this relates to us spiritually as well. Oftentimes we get bored of the prayers that we pray, the way we worship, the songs that we sing. I had someone tell me that they stopped coming to worship on Sunday mornings at Tri-Valley because we literally sing the same five songs every week. And I said, well, I thought, we don't actually do that. That's not uh, factually true. But I, I know what this person was saying. They were looking for something else, something new. They're like, I've been there, done that kind of thing. Uh, communion is the same. The, the nativity story is the same every year. The resurrection passages that we read are, are the same. But there's something good about that. God told the Israelites, this Passover festival that you are to observe, it should be the same every year because what happened is something I don't want you to forget. These are given to you as gifts so that they can sustain you the bread of life, the manna that comes down from heaven, the rituals that we enact, the things that align our hearts to the heart of God are there for a purpose. But it's easy to go, it's not good enough. I need something new. I need something better. It's the temptation that we have. That's why I'm a big proponent of communion. Coming back to the table. Every week, at least, but even as often as we can, remembering Jesus. And remembering that he was about to go away, like he went to the cross, resurrected, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He knew that this was happening. And he, what he gave his disciples to remember him by was a meal. He gave them a table. And he didn't give them a mountaintop meal, you might notice. He didn't give them meatloaf with three different kinds of uh, exotic meats and an appetizer that nobody else had on the menu. He gave them Bread, very, very common. And he gave them wine, very, very common. To some of us today, we might think, well, wine's a special occasion thing. That is kind of, that's actually fancy. But back then, this was everyone's favorite. You drank wine and you ate a meal. He said, I want you to gather around a table. I want you to eat this and remember my body. And I want you to drink this and remember the blood that was shed. This is something you need to hold on to. I am the bread of life and this will sustain you. Remembering me will sustain you. Believing in me will sustain you. Not something else that is elusive. Something that you are chasing after that you're never going to reach. 
The Lord's Supper is referred to in the Christian tradition as the Eucharist. Turn to the person next to you and say, Eucharist. Eucharist. Uh, it's a word. It comes from the Greek word eucharistia, and it means thanksgiving. Turn to somebody else and sound smart and say, it means thanksgiving. It's a reminder to give thanks. Like we do at any meal, like, like Jesus did. He, he, he took the bread when they had five small barley loaves and fish, and he said, he, don't miss that, he gave thanks. And then he broke it, and he gave it to them. And that's what we do. We say, thank you, Lord, for this, this, the thing that we need. And it may not be exciting, it may not be new, it may not be glamorous, it may not be flashy, but thank you for giving us our daily bread. We need it. We come back to the table and we come back to the idea of thanksgiving because I think that thanksgiving, remembering to be thankful, is the antidote to uh, the spectacle-seeking behavior of the crowds and the Israelites and us and the Super Bowl commercials. The antidote to not get caught up in all of that is giving thanks, just being thankful. I've mentioned this before. Uh, I'm involved in the, the middle school that's, well, that way, I guess, down the street. East Avenue Middle School is a half a mile from here. And a few years ago, they started inviting me and my, my buddy Curtis. How many of you know Curtis? Curtis is another pastor here in town. We, we put together presentations, and we were invited into the classrooms to share them with students. Presentations about how to be kind, how to be, uh, how to hold your temper, uh, basically how to be like Jesus, but we don't say Jesus because you're not supposed to say it there. But we love these students. We go there and we minister on campus and we give high fives and we say, hey, look at you, you're wearing a sweatshirt. That's awesome. And the more that we do this, the more the school invites us back to do more things. Not this past week, but the week before, they had something called the Great Kindness Challenge. They're like, man, students are fighting all the time. They're just like frustrated with each other. Friendships are breaking up and people are like harassing each other online. There's a problem. So they're doing anything they can to just bring in positive influences and remind people to be kind. So they had the Great Kindness Challenge, and they had us come in uh, Monday at lunchtime, Wednesday and Friday at lunchtime, and just help them support what they're doing. And they were doing things like making posters saying, be kind, or like, what's something kind you can do to encourage somebody? And the last day, they focused on being thankful. And so we came up with something called the Thankful Four. And we went, uh, we, we did an advertisement on their announcements, and this caught on. We showed up on campus after they heard our announcement, and they were saying, quick, what are four things you're thankful for without saying the word um? It puts you on the spot, forces you to be intentional about not saying um. Just, what are four things you're thankful for? We heard students say, I'm thankful for my parents. I'm thankful for my friends. I'm thankful for this school. I'm thankful for teachers. Some of them were thankful for the faith that they have in Jesus. I'm thankful for my church. I'm thankful for God. We went, wow, that's awesome. This is catching on. Thankfulness is something that they were embracing and leaning into and taking seriously. And we do that on purpose because if you focus on the things you're grateful for, you're not griping about what you have. You're not looking past the Tupperware and going like, yeah, I don't know, what else is there? What else you got? You're going, mashed potatoes, these were delicious. I can't wait to heat these up. This is going to be fantastic. If you find yourself seeking something that you're never going to achieve, I encourage you to do the thankful for. On the spot, make a list of 
four things you're thankful for. Why don't we do that now? Turn to somebody next to you, put them on the spot and say, what are four things you're thankful for? Quickly, go. Online folks, what are you thankful for? Computers. Sunny Sunday afternoons. Costco. Did anybody do it without saying um? Nicely done. Some of them had them ready to go in the chamber. We eventually started telling students, tell us four things you're thankful for without saying friends and family. Because that was always the first two. Like, my friends, my family. I'm like, yeah, okay. You can be thankful for those, but what else? What else? It's the antidote to spectacle seeking. Grab your uh, communion cup if you have it. Now, I want to want to use the phrase look past the Tupperware again. Look past the Tupperware, the grumbling and look to what it is, the, the daily bread that we have that we can be grateful for. When we take communion, you don't have to do this every week, but this occurred to me. You guys are usually facing this direction. If you hold your cup, like take take the thing and be ready to open your bread. It's kind of like opening a Tupperware container. What's it going to be? Ah, it's same thing it always is, good old leftovers. But remember, that's a good thing. This is what sustains us. If you, if you hold it up so you can see the cup and you can see the cross on the wall past it, I want you to just do that and put, op open it up and see what's happening. What you're doing is you're literally looking past the Tupperware, you're looking past the container, and then when you take it out, you're reminding yourself of the cross. You're reminding what Jesus said. I am the bread of life. I'm everything that you need. I will sustain you. This is what you need. This, this is, actually is a mountaintop meal. This is incredible. This is something to be thankful for. Ah, I'm thankful for my friends and family. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for this little cracker. It doesn't taste very salty most weeks. But this is the body of Christ, and it was broken for us. If we can look past the Tupperware. We're, and next time you eat leftovers, that's the point. We're sticking this idea to the Tupperware containers in your house. If you feel a little bit nonplussed about when you're eating out of Tupperware, look past the Tupperware and be reminded, man, God gives us what we need. We pray for our daily bread and our good Father provides. So let me give thanks and then we'll, we'll share this meal together. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the bread of life. We believe him that we can eat this bread and never go hungry. We can drink of the blood of the lamb and never be thirsty. We are putting all of our hope on Jesus, being who he says he was, the son of God, doing what he said he was going to do, die and be raised and bring us back with him. His resurrection means our resurrection. And we thank you for that and we celebrate that this morning. We ask that you make us a thankful people, not a group of grumblers, but those who can give thanks for all that you do and all that you give us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's share this meal together.
Look past the Tupperware. Look past the container. Quick impromptu song. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. I want to thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. That's all I got for you this morning. But uh, the invitation, if you want to know more about Jesus, if you're saying, I, I, I need the bread of life. Uh, I've, I've never made a commitment to following Jesus. There's some things that I don't understand. Like, come and talk to me. I'd love to spend some time in John 6 and the rest of the Gospels and just lift up Jesus and say, man, he's so good. He's so trustworthy. Um, the more we commit our lives to him, the, the more we're walking in the way and leading ourselves into life. And uh, Anyway, the invitation's there. Come and talk to me. Uh, I think now Matt's going to come up here and share some prayer requests that we have as a congregation. And yeah, I'll turn it over to Matt, and then we'll pray together and head out.